Do you hear these loud birds? I really can't stand them. I'm uh, standing here next to my next to my house, next to the rectory, and uh, on my right is a small wood. There are lots of uh, trees here, and these are jackdaws. I think that's what they're called in, in English, kauwen in in Dutch, because of the sound they make. Is cow? They're actually family of uh, uh, to, to crows. And the place is infested with them, and it becomes a, a real plague. They've been, uh, they've been <laughs> causing a lot. Of, I'm opening the garage here. I'm going to get my bike. But one of the reasons that my car is always in the garage is that um, if I leave it out for an hour, it'll be completely covered in, well, you know what? <laughs> Open the lock of my bike here. I'm gonna take it outside. Oops. And even my bike, I gotta keep it inside because otherwise the saddle and the the rest of the bike will be completely white. Yuck. And when I first came here in this rectory, let's close this. Close the garage here. When I first uh came here it was in the winter it was in November and I did hear these birds one of the reasons that I uh, actually moved my sleeping room to the side of the house to the other side of the house kind of opposite of the church because they would wake me up in the morning they start uh, making this noise around 5:30, and then they only stop around 10 when the sun sets when they go to sleep but back then you just had, I think, 20 or 30 of them. Now there must be hundreds. And they're really all over the place. And as much as I, as much as I want to respect nature, sometimes nature becomes, <laughs> I don't know, a menace to my own health and to the well-being of other animals. Because let's not forget these birds, these uh, jackdaws, are also chasing away all the other birds. There are no other birds. You never hear um, simple birds or, or just what you normally hear in a forest. It's just this ongoing cow, 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 cow the entire day. And there's just no escape. So I've uh, decided to ask for help and I'm going to uh, ask or convene with the people here and the uh, of the St. Joseph's Church and see if we, what we can do because I, can, I imagine that these birds are also causing trouble to the buildings uh, because they're nesting, they're, uh, well, they're, they're just causing a lot of havoc and, and also polluting the place. It's, uh, you don't want the, your church to become a, a public toilet for, for these jackdaws. Ah, Really? I, if only we had different birds. I don't mind the sound of birds, but this is not a nice sound. These, these birds are constantly just screaming, and it sounds like they're mad all the time. I've heard that one of the ways uh, people try to chase them is by installing speakers and uh, playing the sound, the alarm sound of the bird. So they'll, they'll have recordings of the sound these birds make when there is a, a threat 
like another a bird of prey or something like that and they will play that over and over again until they until they fly away the problem is that's only a temporary measure as, as soon as you uh, stop playing that sound they'll return plus the sound itself is also noisy so it's replacing one bad thing with another uh, maybe there are other ways to chase them i figure it's also probably a matter of not having hello natural enemies um, perhaps there is too much food for these birds uh, where i live the last thing i want to do of course is get rid of the trees because that is what makes my current home so cozy and so nice see when i wake up in the morning and i look outside the window i see trees but i'd, I'd rather hear different birds in rome by the way where i was last week you hear no birds whatsoever. It is a, a very nature-poor city. It's a beautiful city. But especially this time, I noticed how little you have in terms of, of uh, grass, trees. You see some pine trees from time to time. But um, a lot of the parks are poorly maintained. It was actually one of the items that I recorded uh, there's a, a woman living in Rome that I'd interviewed before, and uh, I wanted to uh, do a, an item about uh, the uh, uh, about Laudato Si, which is, of course, what Pope Francis wrote to encourage people to take care of create of God's creation, to respect nature, but also respect mankind that is dependent on nature in many ways. Um, and so she told me that. There are only a few spots in Rome where the government actually pays for for um, these these parks. Like we were, we went to a botanical garden, and that one looked very lush and green, but you had to pay eight bucks to get in. And uh, so that is a sponsored place. But all the other parks, they basically don't care about it. And it's uh, it's a it's a shame because the, the city of Rome is a beautiful city. It de- deserves. I think also kind of parks and recreation management. <laughs> so perhaps we should, uh, well, encourage them to uh, to watch that TV series of parks and recreation and try to do the opposite. <laughs> anyway, it was a good week in Rome. A very, very uh, intense week. So I went there on Monday morning, arrived much too late because there was a delay. Kids... So they um, they uh, tried to fix something in the airplane. I think it was in the cockpit, some malfunction. Maybe it may have been a software issue. So we left much later than anticipated. And then uh, I went to uh, to the the room that I that I rented uh, via Expedia. And then the first Italian adventure started because. The guy who had uh, rented out the place told me that he was new on Expedia and there was a problem and, uh, well, basically the room was not available. Like, no! (laughs) That is not a good... That's not what you want to hear when you start a week in Rome and there is really no margin for error. So he told me to go along with uh, a father who was there with two kids and I could stay in their place. And I, I really thought that he was, he was going to uh, to uh, let me stay in just a regular family home 
turns out the guy actually ha owned a small hotel. So I stayed in a, a room for the first night. Unfortunately, no air conditioning. The air conditioning was broken in the entire building. And this is one of the hottest week they've had this year. So temperatures were uh, around 35 all day. Sometimes 36, 37 degrees Celsius. That's in the 90s uh, Fahrenheit. So that first night was, uh, was tough. And then uh, the next uh, day, he brought me to another apartment. The one that I was actually supposed to... Uh, to stay at and I, I thought I I saw the picture on Expedia and it looked really primitive but it was also cheap and and it was one of the only rooms that was available uh, near near the Vatican relatively in the vicinity of the Vatican about 10 minutes a 10 minute walk and um, but the the actual apartment was so good and, and really modern and uh, very comfortable plus it had air conditioning none of that was advertised on Expedia so I was super happy that uh, in the end things turned out right and then the rest of the week I uh, worked harder than I've worked ever before in Rome because I had just a few days I wanted to film four episodes of the TV show which normally would have been extremely challenging already if I had prepared everything. But up until the last moment, there were lots of issues of people that were unavailable and topics that I wanted to film, that, and, and it just didn't work out. So I didn't even have content enough for two episodes. But with some creative thinking, and I have to say the pressure itself makes me more creative, I was still able to, I think, film content for four Good, really interesting episodes, and especially visually very interesting episodes. Uh, the trick was basically, instead of trying to cram like three or four topics into an episode, which I did previous times that I was in Rome, I focused on people. And I took one person at a time and gave them the, the space to, to tell their life story and the things that they were doing. And at the same time, I made sure that in every episode we went to multiple places in Rome. So, for instance, uh, to give you an American, ex uh, American example, uh, Mountain Batorac is a, is a tour guide, or actually is a pilgrimage guide in Rome. He lives there with his family. And last year, you may remember that... Uh, or was it two years ago already? No, I think it was last year. I went on a pilgrimage with... Uh, a group of my... No, it was two years ago already. Wow, time flies. A group of, uh, of my listeners. And it was really great. And I, I just interviewed Mountain about his work and uh, his experiences and what pilgrimages do to people. And it was a really good interview. And uh, having more time to ask questions and to uh, go a little bit deeper than I'd normally do was really good and I like I was like I like this conversation so if I'm enthusiastic about this conversation then most likely my viewers will also be and the mountain mentioned that one of his favorite places in Rome uh, are the holy stairs these uh, stairs that the mother of Constantine if I'm not mistaken brought back from Jerusalem um, she brought back a lot of artifacts and 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 relics and stuff from from Jerusalem um, 
and it was revealed to her. It's kind of a, a bit of a, a mythical story almost, but she had these revelations where she had to look for, in this case, the remains of the stairs of the, the Palace of Pontius Pilate. And uh, she brought back those marble stairs to Rome, and for many centuries they were used by the Pope to as a devotional um, object. He would, you know, kind of, kind of reminded people of of the suffering of Jesus because he was brought up these stairs multiple times when he was tortured. But then, at one point, the stairs were open to the general public, and since then, pilgrims from all over the world have been climbing those stairs on their knees and um, this year especially these months are extra special because they've been restoring the entire building that houses these stairs and temporarily they they removed the wooden casing that that covered those stairs to protect them and until the end of this month you're able to climb those stairs on your knees um, the way they were available to the public for, for many centuries, like since the Middle Ages or perhaps even longer. And it's incredible um, to be able to, to, you know, regardless of the question whether these are really the marble steps from the Palace of Pontius Pilate, although why not, um, just the idea that for centuries people have been praying on these steps... And you can follow their example. That in itself is already mind-boggling. And so I decided to do that. To go climb those stairs on my knees. Kind of thinking very, I don't know, lightly about it. And, well, I can do that. Why not? I'm in good shape. And, whoa, was that an ordeal. (laughs) That was so hard and so painful. I've never been a hero on my knees <laughs> I like it. it sounds maybe strange for uh, a priest but kneeling always causes problems especially in my knees and that, that dates back to a pilgrimage that I made with the first seminary that I studied at and um, during a, I think it was an adoration I knelt on a marble floor for an hour and uh and, and in return, I got an infection in my knee, which was extremely painful. And ever since, I really have had a problem with kneeling, especially on marble. And here I was, not only kneeling on marble, but I was climbing these stairs. Ouch. Anyway, sometimes you have to suffer and do penance for my many sins. <laughs> So anyway, that, that was just an example of, uh, of combining an interview with a, a personal item. And the next couple of days had some really good encounters. Didn't see the Pope, unfortunately. The morning of the general audience, I visited a priest who actually is also called Father Roderick. That was a lot of fun. It caused a lot of confusion when people were recognizing me and saying, Hi, Father Roderick. And then he would turn around. It was like... I don't know these people. <laughs> but uh, while Pope Francis was on St. Peter's Square, I was actually next to the Vatican at the German college there, the Teutonicum, 
where this uh, priest from Holland, uh, or actually he's not from Holland, he's from the south of the Netherlands, where he studies and lives. And that was another great day. And uh, so these days were long. And since I was close to the, uh, the sound that you hear is from other people on bikes, they're passing me by. I'm, I have the bike in my hand because I wanted to walk to the office so I could record the walk. I don't want to fake it. I don't want to be on my bike pretending that I'm walking. But because I take my bike with me, I can at least uh, take my bike back home and I don't have to walk the distance again because it's still about half an hour, I think, or perhaps even longer to get there. So... Uh, the, the apartment was near the Vatican. Unfortunately, a lot of my uh, interviewees did not live close to the Vatican, except for Father Roderick, the other Father Roderick. And so I walked, I, I counted the steps, or actually my phone did, and it's pretty accurate. I've compared it in the past. Well, that's a big train. Industrial train. And it goes to Germany. Kind of a staple ingredient of my show. <laughs> wow. <coughs> That's loud and... <coughs> that is a very polluting German diesel train. Those fumes are terrible. Ugh. Anyway, that's the same in Rome. It's a very polluted city because of all the cars. And there's so much traffic in Rome. Blah. I actually caught a cold while I was there. You may hear that I'm a little bit more nasal than normally. It's because I've been... Uh, I have a bit of a throat ache. And uh, not, I'm a little bit queasy. I'm not totally fit. Of course, that is also because of all the walking that I did. So I did a total of 100, almost 100 kilometers on foot. <clears throat> which is a lot. <laughs> Fortunately, I did have time to do that, and the walking itself is is good for, for the creative process because it gives me time to think uh, and to also check, to do a mental check. Do I really have enough visual material for all those different interviews that I did? And uh, But, yeah, all in all, there's a lot of work. I think I did uh, days of, uh, I don't know, 12 hours, sometimes 14 hours. And, uh, but I did sleep well in, the, in that air-conditioned room. That also may have been one of the culprits of uh, the, uh, the cold that I currently have. But all in all, I came home with four episodes. And I was like, <laughs> so proud of having accomplished what I set out to do. But I wasn't sure that I was able, that I was going to pull it off. But I did. And so I'm very much on schedule when it comes to the TV production, which uh, was my goal, actually, to be able to film all the episodes for uh, September, October, November, December, to film it all during the summer, so that once the TV, uh, the TV season starts, I am no longer bothered by all those deadlines, and I can just do my, my own work, and to do the, the work that I actually love even more than the TV work, which is, well... What I'm currently doing is podcasting, YouTube. It is branching out, building up the Dutch channel. There's so much that I enjoy doing. And uh, 
now that I'm doing everything at a slower pace and kind of this haunting feeling of guilt that I'm not working hard enough is, has subsided, I am actually really enjoying my work. And, uh, and, and it also makes it possible for me to do these intensive weeks from time to time where I work really hard, but then I can let go because I'm on schedule. I've been uh, struggling a little bit with outsourcing work. Um, that is another choice that I made early on. It's like I don't have to do all the editing myself. Uh, I have very capable editors that can do a, a good job and it will free me up to do the things that I truly love, even though I'm, I'm good at editing, I think, but it's not my favorite work. I like to just go out and film. I'm a cameraman. I'm a storyteller. I'm a very visual person and I don't like to struggle with editing software and having to make all these micro decisions. But what was, what's constantly resurfacing is this, uh, maybe it's greed, I don't know. <laughs> like, well, I filmed four episodes for a super low budget. I think I, in total, what did I spend? last week let me see the, the airplane was 90 euros unbelievable I mean it's crazy uh, and wow that was loud the the reason that I I can fly so cheaply is that nowadays they will charge you for everything you want as extra especially luggage and so I made it an art to travel light and this time even lighter than before. You may have seen the photo on Facebook and Insta. Uh, it's, it's now you can only take one bag of, what is it, 45 centimeters times 20 time, times 25. So let's convert that in inches. I think it's 11 times 9 times 8 inches or something like that. A tiny, tiny bag. But I took the challenge. I was like, I will travel just with carry-on luggage and uh, crammed everything in that tiny little bag, washed my clothes every evening. <laughs> I'm not sure if I could do that in the wintertime because it wouldn't dry quickly enough. But anyway, that's 90 bucks plus, let's see, um, bus tickets. Not that many, because I walked most of the time. So let's say that's 10, 10 bucks. That's 100 bucks. What did I spend in terms of food for myself? I'm not counting the uh the 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 times that i ate with the guests because you gotta wanna i can't pay my guests of course but they're reserving an entire day to to be on the on the show and to be interviewed so i usually took them to a restaurant and and uh and paid them a, a lunch or a dinner but that's not out of my own pocket but well okay let's count that in let's count that in as well let's say i, I paid 200 bucks 250 let's 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 be uh, let's be uh, generous 250 bucks in total for food um, then that's 350 the room the room where I was staying was 30 bucks a night so that's times five plus taxes let's say that's 200 bucks so where I'm now 550 euros that is what I spent this past week <laughs> and if you well let's let's add let's let's add 50 more for the 
fuel of driving me back and forth between here and uh, the airport, 600 bucks. For those four episodes, I've got a total budget of 20,000 euros, but that's how much I, I will make. So that's a pretty good return on investment. And, uh, and so for, in order to um, cut, cut costs even more, I could edit those shows myself, which is currently what I, what I want to do. But then I had to make a decision. Am I going to outsource the editing of the two episodes that I filmed in France with uh, Father Theo? So the episodes about the hermit, the priest turned hermit there. The, that was lovely to film. I would have loved to edit it myself. But I had to be... I, I kind of struggled with it. I wanted to do it myself. Also thinking, you know, I'd save 3,000 bucks. That's a lot of money. That's three times what I make in a month. So, um, but at the same time, I was thinking if I also want, want to edit Rome, um, plus I've got the Lourdes episode that I'd already started editing, and I got a film four more episodes before I go on vacation, then um, I'm just not going to make it. And I'm going to put myself under stress and I won't have any time left to do the things that I love and that give me energy, like podcasting and, uh, and YouTube. So, yesterday I decided, what the heck, I'm just going to outsource this. And I'm sure that uh, the editor will do a terrific job. And the moment I, I outsourced it, I felt this has been the right decision. Why did I? Why did it take me so long? It's this constant fear of, you know, well, it's a waste of research. I can do it myself. Yes, I can, but that doesn't mean I should do it myself, because that time that I pay another editor to do the work for me, that time I can reinvest in the things that also grow my ministry. And then, in, in addition, bring me much more joy, that sparks much more joy than editing to me. And even for the end result, it may be better, because sometimes when you've filmed everything, it's hard to make the right decisions, because you feel that everything you filmed should be in the end product, whereas an editor uh, is has a bit more distance to the source material and sometimes makes better better editorial decisions that's what i hope so i think i did the right thing and i think i'm going to do more of that i'm going to do more outsourcing in the next couple of uh, weeks and months the only thing that i've been discussing with uh, martin uh and inge is that it may be for us time to hire an editor full-time Instead of paying all this extra money for uh, independent uh, editors, we're, we're currently paying 1500 an episode, and we're producing 14 episodes. For that amount of money, we could almost hire someone full-time. Maybe not for the same, the same salary. It may not, have, may not be the, the uh, let's say, the, the most experienced editor, but it would also open up a lot more possibilities for us if we would have someone in-house who we could uh, uh, give work. And I'm sure that the more we grow, the more work we will have for someone like that. So that's something to discuss with the board very soon. 
The board, by the way, is going to change. Um, our uh, uh, current uh, head of the board is resigning. Uh, he's been doing this for four years already, I think. So he's been a tremendous help, but he wants to uh, spend more time as a grandfather. He's got a lot of grandchildren that he wants to take care of. And, you know, it's, it's still, even though we have a very simple structure and the board is not constantly, it doesn't have, really have to do a lot of things, it's still, um, it's still a, a commitment. So we're looking currently for a new president of the board and uh, I'm very confident that we will find good people to do that. And, and this is super exciting, we're go finally gonna renovate the office. We've been uh, organized, we've been working in what used to be my home, but since I moved out only in November and right away there was so much other work that we needed to do, we just didn't have the time to paint the walls and install a good ceiling and soundproof some of the rooms. All that is now on our to-do list for uh, these summer months. And hopefully we'll be able to uh, get some extra help from people in the area that uh, are handy and, and would like to, uh, to help us with the whole refurbishment of the studio. I'm looking forward to it. And I, I've personally got a strong feeling that the moment that we make the place look more professional... Well, we will, actually. That, that has an impact on how you feel about your business, how you conduct your business. And we need to uh, constantly challenge ourselves, I think, to, in order to attain the goals that we want to reach. And uh, they're pretty ambitious. <laughs> I really want to shift more and more from the current work that I do to new audience groups, um, and especially focus more on my own personal productions yeah, because that's something that no one can do for me so it's I think good times ahead still going to be a lot of work um, the, the other thing that's going on in my life of course as you know is uh, the situation of my father <coughs> excuse me <coughs> still have this, this cough um, my father has been uh, at the hospital if you haven't seen my updates from Rome uh, which I posted on YouTube and on Facebook. He, uh, the infection in his foot didn't get better and, uh, and, and also entered the bloodstream, and that's when the doctors decided that they had to amputate the leg under the knee, so it's nothing too dramatic, but still, it is, uh, it's, uh, it's something you can't... There's no way back once you amputate the leg. So that happened, I think, on Wednesday, and... Um, he is still in a very severe delirium when I went to visit him on, on Saturday, coming back from Rome. You basically can't have a normal conversation with him. He speaks, but he's very confused. He doesn't know where he is. Um, and it's most uh, demanding for my mom, who has her own health struggles. She's been uh, sh out of breath or short of... She has got short, shortness of breath. The, she's going to be examined tomorrow because the doctors are uncertain what is causing it since she already had heart surgery uh, not so long ago and everybody expected her to uh, feel much better after that but that was not the case 
And so they're going to explore a little bit more, see if they can find what's going on. Plus she has to do heart therapy. Um, I'm walking underneath the train tracks here. Um, in a tunnel, of course. <laughs> I'm not Superman. But um, she uh, has to train her heart since she's been uh, uh, deprived of, of oxygen for many months. She's had these problems for a long time before it was diagnosed. Our heart muscles are basically weakened. They've been overexerted. And normally you would think it's a muscle so that gets stronger, but in this case it does the opposite. And so she has to uh, go every week to a therapist and, and, you know, be on a stationary bike and stuff so that the heart muscle can grow stronger and, and work better. But that is something she has to combine with the constant care of my father. And even though my father is at the hospital, She's still very much um, the person who needs to help my father with all sorts of tasks, even eating sometimes. And he has to do exercises with the leg. And uh, he doesn't want to because he doesn't understand why it's necessary. So she is uh, also very affected by it, very, uh, uh, I think, somber about the prognostics. And, uh, of course, very understandably, wants to share that with us, and especially with my sister. Um, and now my sister is kind of needs to slow down a little bit because it's been super intense for her. She's kind of the, the link between all the family members, and she is almost texting nonstop day and night. And that's not healthy. She has a family to run as well, a husband, three kids... Um, so I told her, you know, I kind of, she, she told me just today that she wanted to scale back her own involvement and at the same time feels guilty about it. And I told her, you know, you got to first think of yourself. Your first priority is to be a mother and a wife and, and, and to take care of yourself. Because if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of others as well. But she feels like she has to be there for my mom. She has to be there for my father. And my mom also having so much trouble with the situation, of course, uh, uh, clings on to my sister uh, to share her sorrow with, with her. That all in all creates just a very heavy burden for everyone involved. I am a little bit further away. Um, and I'm since I'm working still these weeks and I can't really take that much of a break uh, because otherwise I won't be able to finish before uh, before I go on vacation there I don't have that much uh, time to go there and to uh, to be the, the sort of support that my sister is so it's always it's it's a it's a back and forth of choices that you have to make and um, what I try to do is to make sure that I protect the boundaries um, there's only so much that you can do anyway that I can't change the situation. No one can. The doctors are currently monitoring everything. So we'll just have to live with the fact that we can't fix things and that uh, our care is going to be limited. The, the upside of the situation is the, the wound is healing uh, rapidly and it's probably going to be discharged from this, chirurg from this um, 
what's the word? Um, the floor where he is is for people recovering from surgery. So he's going to be discharged from the surgical floor and brought to a kind of a temporary care um, uh, unit. And then if the, if the delirium doesn't, doesn't get better, you'll probably have to go to a, a home instead of going home. Yes, he has to go to a home, which of course is also, <laughs> well, that's a huge change. Um, because then my mom will be alone at home and still having to run, uh, <laughs> still having to take care of my father and run the household and, and uh, well. So, well, tough times, difficult times. And at the same time, I try to kind of help, I try to encourage everyone involved to also watch their own boundaries and keep the balance. This is going to be something for the long run. This is not going to be over a week from now. So it's like running a marathon, <clears throat> which I haven't done in a while. But I know that if you do any type of uh, sports where it's all about duration and you have to kind of... Uh, you, you, the, the art is to divide your energy. Not going full strength, full force in the first phase. You have to be able to reach the finish line. And that also... That's true for physical exercise, but also true for spiritual, mental uh, uh, exercise or exercise. If, if, you're, if you're tested spiritually, mentally, you have to make sure you pace yourself. And, uh, and the biggest risk in this is, of course, listening to those feelings of guilt and uh, feeling inadequate in that respect, it's all about, again, here we are again, about letting go, about trusting, about not wanting to be the savior, because we can't. We're just human. We have our boundaries, and if we don't respect them, then we'll collapse ourselves as well. Nobody gets, <laughs> nobody's helped if that happens. So uh, a lot of the skills that I've been training over the past year uh, of of letting go and not not feeling guilty about uh, being unable to do everything, outsourcing, trusting, uh, making sure you get enough sleep. Those things, I hope I can also uh, encourage my family members uh, uh, in, in, in that area. Because otherwise, uh, it's going to be even harder. So, I'm almost at the office. It's warm it's really warm this feels like rome again <laughs> with less traffic and less shouting in italian but um this afternoon i'm going to record my my regular podcast my weekly podcast which continues to get new listeners i'm so uh happy with with the way um especially the youtube community is latching on to what i do and it's a small group. It's, I'm not hitting high numbers for those live shows, but it really feels like a community. And because of the live interaction, it is a... And you may be part of that community. I mean, you, you may have watched me do those live shows from time to time. But I really enjoy the, the questions people ask, the banter. Um, and it goes from, you know, who's your favorite superhero to questions about confession and prayer and uh, inner peace 
and that is, is is always has always been my favorite combination is like um to to switch back and forth between our common language which it may be the language of entertainment or movies or games or lego and and then insert the the deeper themes and to have those um those conversations about faith and about life and that is to me the most ideal way to <laughs> to uh to do my ministry because faith ought to be close to to our day-to-day lives and god does not want to be something completely you know set apart from everything else that we're passionate about he wants to share our lives jesus when he became man shared every aspect of life not he was not just preaching he was also walking around fishing um eating let's not forget that partying he went to the wedding at cana so jesus partook in also the 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 leisurely aspects of life and if you hear if you listen to his the stories that he that he tells about the kingdom of god a lot of those stories contain mundane uh mundane elements mundane life or talks about a a wedding party or about laborers in the vineyard and and i think that in uh, the way that we live out our faith it should be the same it should should we should connect everything to to god and and try to connect god with everything we do instead of isolating him and putting him aside for just an hour or so on on sunday so i'm happy with the the way this evolves i'm also uh, glad that i figured out a way to <clears throat> to continue doing the lego building uh without without uh, breaking my back financially because those lego sets the more interesting ones that that people want to see um are very expensive and i just don't want to spend hundreds and hundreds of euros on lego especially because once it's finished and the building process is over where do you put it you know you put put it on display but i don't want to have a house with a uh, 100 lego sets I, i really don't want to be a hoarder and so i found uh, a shop that rents out lego sets and uh, for instance the death star which is a project that i would love to do soon crossing the road here uh the the death star normally would cost about what is it 500 bucks or something like that it's very expensive very big but i can rent it for 10 bucks a week and if i can build it in a week or two weeks let's say i i i pay 20 bucks i can have so much fun building that death star sharing it online via youtube and then i can bring it back and someone else can enjoy that same set and i would don't have i i've only uh, spent what is it 10 or 20 bucks for a lot of entertainment and i don't have to feel guilty about spending hundreds of dollars or euros on a set that is just gathering dust afterwards it's different from the smaller sets that i have and the kind of the i'm currently uh, arranging and sorting all the little uh, lego elements I found an, a way by the way 
to recycle uh, some plastic while doing that. Now, of course, Lego itself is plastic. One of, one of the problems that I have always is finding the right pieces when I'm doing something specific. For instance, when I want to do a video, a Lego video, I all the I've, I've sorted everything color-wise, but certainly not in terms of the shape of these elements. So it's a lot of hunting for specific pieces. Um, I did save the plastic uh, containers that you get here in the Netherlands when you go to get Chinese takeaway food. Actually, I really prefer... I would love it if they could just do it more in the way that they do it in, uh, in the US, for instance, <clears throat> or Canada, where they have these foldable paper containers for Chinese food. Here, it's all plastic. So you go, uh, like the other day, got a meal for 15 bucks and over like six or seven plastic containers and in the past I would always throw them away but I've been saving them up so I've got a, about 40 or 50 of them and uh, and now I'm using them to sort my Lego elements because they're very sturdy and I have a lot of them and so every every container every box uh, can contain uh, one specific element so it's much easier to find uh, the components that I need for future builds and I don't feel guilty about you know getting some Chinese takeaway from time to time <laughs> speaking of Lego that's uh, that's on my list uh, for uh, for well the upcoming weeks and months I'm gonna do a series about the mass at least that's what I hope to do we first wanted to do to film a, a Dutch series for the Dutch Channel, um, with a priest who would explain mass to to children. That was the idea, but the priest uh, that we wanted to ask uh, is unavailable. And so, instead of trying to find another priest, I figured this may be a good project to do in Lego. I remember that, I think, was it Zena who asked me in from Boston if there was, if I could do something of a First Communion project with Lego, because her uh, some of her kids have trouble concentrating and Lego really works for them because the, the Lego figures don't move that much so it's, uh, it's helping them learn in a visual way so that may be a nice project to do I still have to kind of think of a creative and a fun way to do this I don't want it to be dry exposition opening the door here oh it's so much cooler inside Whew. nice so, uh, but again, if I want to do that Lego series, I also need time for that. So, another reason to keep outsourcing, even though it's expensive, but to keep outsourcing work that other people can do just as good as I, or even better than I can, so that I can focus on, uh, on the things that I love to do. All right, I'm here at the podcast office. I'm going to turn on my road. Uh, Roadcaster Pro for the audio. I'm turning on the Mac. Maybe it's already on. And I have to connect my Canon M50. Oh, it wasn't on. And I'll turn on the lights. So glad I kept the curtains closed. So this room is still very cool. And then we're going to record our uh, our weekly show. If you've uh, never listened to it, go check it out over at tridio.com. <laughs> and uh, you can also subscribe and in uh, iTunes, and we're working on uh, Spotify and some other podcast catchers. 
it's uh, sometimes a little bit difficult to for us in here in Europe to uh, to uh, uh, get our podcasts listed in the other platforms that are out there. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Thanks to my patrons if you're one of them. And if you aren't and you want to help out a little bit financially, then uh, take a look at uh, patreon.com slash fatherodrick and my patrons get an extra podcast every week. So maybe interesting. Just uh, whatever you can do. If it's, if it's spraying, that's wonderful. If it's uh, liking this stuff or uh, uh, letting other people know about the podcast, that's, that's great too. All right. Talk to you guys later. Ciao.